Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by CLNS Media today on the show. John Hollinger, the king of analytics, the maestro of Memphis, the uh, absolute, just one of the best people I've gotten to meet in the entire basketball industry. He's here, and we are going to talk about the NBA draft. John, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, just hanging out like everyone else, watching uh Watching a lot of tape. I've had a lot more time to watch tape on draft prospects than usual at this time of year, actually. Usually, uh, you know, when I was on the team side, you basically spend a lot of April, May, even into June playing catch up on some guys. And uh, I've been fortunate since March 11th that I've been able to watch a whole lot of college tape. So uh, I feel more caught up than I usually am at this point, but I still have I still have more guys to watch. Well, there's that, and there's the fact that, you know, you were like me. You would travel to conference tournaments. You would travel to uh, the NCAA tournament. You would then uh, go overseas to Europe, right, and go see those guys after the season typically. So it ends up being a circumstance where I think that evaluators – probably are going to be a little bit behind the eight ball, especially high level evaluators that are high up in organizations because they really do tend not to get out until after the trade deadline. Exactly. And there was just such a limited period of time after the trade deadline this year that it's going to be really interesting to me to see where the high level executives end up falling on this draft class. Absolutely. And it may, we'll see, it may result in more reasoned takes and, you know, we have no workouts to sway people to, um, to sway coaches, especially, I think uh, th- that can happen yeah. sometimes. And on the other hand, we have no combine, no Portsmouth. I always thought the combine was kind of useful, actually, just to what? see the players against in a in a group of other prospects. I mean, you had to. You, it was something that you had to take somewhat seriously, but not too seriously. But th- it was a right. it was a valuable data point. Well, and it was a valuable data point for you guys to be able to get. FaceTime, even if it's just like 15 minutes with prospects, because, you know, it's, you get 15 interviews, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. And the inter, so are the interviews valuable? Yes. I just, uh, it's, I, I wonder if they sway people too much. So yeah, that's a good, that's actually a good place for us to start and probably a better place for us to start than even where I was planning to, because there has been like this overarching take on the internet that I've seen that, oh, I wonder if because there aren't going to be pre-draft workouts, there aren't going to be all of these, uh, you know, 36 hour meetings where prospects come in and like have a workout, do dinner, and then like do breakfast in the morning, like with these teams and really get to know the front office people in charge. There's been a take that people are wondering if it's going to lead to more rational decision-making. And I would be interested to hear your take on that because it is something that I kind of disagree with, that I don't think that it will lead to better decision-making. I think for I think for organizations that weren't doing things right, it'll lead to better decision-making. Yes. Because, so it's less information, but it's also less biased information. And the sequence of the information is another thing. Like, if you do a draft workout with somebody, it's typically your last impression, and it's so hard to avoid overvaluing that last impression. Whereas if it's right. been three months since the season ended before there's a draft, and you've kind of clinically gone through the tape of the season and, and you know, in a more dispassionate way, I think it's easier to come at a, at a rational viewpoint of what that player's uh, level is. So I, I, I think in that sense, 
it, it may lead to better outcomes, especially for teams that had that that struggled to weigh information correctly. So I think it hit kind of what I think really well there, because I do think it will help bad teams essentially like teams that don't go through the proper processes. But in general, I kind of strongly believe that teams have gotten better at the draft over the course of the last, let's say three or four years, just and that's like kind of a small sample, I guess. But the reason I say that is that it feels like there has finally been like a true proliferation of information, like all across the internet. And it makes it, I don't want to say harder to make mistakes, but I think that that real just proliferation of information has helped more rational decision-making uh, take place. Do you agree with that? I think there's an argument to be made for that. The So the draft two years ago, the top five picks uh, were, the, were the all-rookie team. But right. even beyond that, the it was it was really interesting for us that 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 how chalky the draft was in terms of like it was pretty similar to what we had written down on our board and right so and and I mean we you know credit to our guys they did a good great job and everything but also I think there was more rationality among the other thirty teams too so it wasn't there were fewer moments of like what the hell are they doing you know. So Right. And uh, there's like a level of groupthink that probably infiltrates all of this as well. To an extent, but I think even compared to like the mo- some of the mocks that were online, I think we we had the same guys higher that 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 uh as a lot of other teams did too. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean. I definitely see what you mean there. Um and then twenty nineteen even this past year, like Zion Williamson and John Morant are very clearly the two best rookies in the league. Yeah. I mean, you wrote early in the season about how the class was struggling a little bit. I do think it got better as the season went on. Like Cam Reddish started to show flashes over the course of the last 15 games that were really impressive. DeAndre Hunter shot like 36% from three on over 300 attempts and played pretty good defense throughout the course of the year for a wing rookie. Like those kind of things stand out to me as being positives as we continue to look down this road. Jackson Hayes looks pretty good. You know, the guys that I think uh, gangbusters those last couple weeks before they shut it down. Yep. Kobe white looked great. Rui Achimura. Honestly, I thought he looked pretty good throughout the course of the year. There's still a lot of defensive concern there, but offensively, I think a lot of that skill set is going to translate. Like, I don't think there were as many just straight up steals. Like, you can maybe make a case Tyler Hero probably should have gone higher. Um, you know, I, would you make a case that Matisse Thibel should have gone higher? You know, I I kind of don't. I mean, maybe just I agree relative, with you relative to the, just relative to the struggles of the rest of the class. Um, you, you know, we'll see what you know Romeo Langford or Nikhil Alexander Walker or Lucas Samanich turn out to be. Lucas Samanich was the guy I actually thought went too high, but uh, yeah, Thibel, that's a good one. Um, you know, even shooting 35% from three last year was a pretty marginal offensive player. And I actually don't even trust him to make 35% of his threes going forward. Like just watching him at UW, yeah. watching him warm up before games uh, with the Sixers this year, which I did multiple times. Like you you could, like he's still not a good shooter. Like he's just not. He, he shoots, misses. yeah. There's bad misses there. You watch him shoot 20 in a row from one spot. He's not, the good shooters will make 16, 17. He's like, you know. He's all over the place, so I, I don't I don't really see it there, and uh, so I think that's going to be a drag on him. But defensively, the conversion from zone to man, which was the other question people had on him, 
that like that is no longer a concern. So you move them up because of that, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's not, not as dramatic as you might think. Yeah, the shooting, I agree with you. He just shoots a very hard ball still, I think. Like, it doesn't come out of the hand with the kind of, like, touch that you look for from, like, legit shooters. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned the idea of the defense, and I'm not saying that he's not going to be, like, a very good defender, because I think he is going to be an awesome defender. Some of the over-aggressiveness stuff, I think, actually didn't help Philadelphia at times this year. Mm -hmm. Like, he is all over the place and help just like going for steals all over the place, like really trying to make things happen instead of staying steady, like within rotation. And this is stuff he'll get better at because he's a hyper intelligent human being. Uh, like anyone, I'm sure that you guys uh, did pre-draft interviews at some point with Matisse. He's like incredibly smart and incredibly thoughtful. And like, I think that he'll take what he learned this year and make it better and inner, uh, you know, make these things uh, a part of his game and see what he has to do to improve. But there are uh, there are even some over aggressiveness concerns on defense that yeah worry me a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right though. You look, I mean, you look back through this draft. I mean, the one the one guy who you could say who was like clearly taken way too low was a six seven center, right, <laughs> Brandon Clark. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, and by the I, way, I think, I think that was that was a hard trigger for teams to pull on for, for that reason. By the way, though, that's actually kind of a great example because I think most people had Brandon Clark. Other like most people not on the team side, it felt like had Brandon Clark as a lottery pick, including yeah. myself. Like I think yeah. that you guys, I would imagine, had Brandon Clark pretty high on your board. Well, that I mean that was I mean I wasn't. Uh, you know, as uh, involved in the process by that point. But I, I mean, I, I do know that's why, I mean, that's why the Grizzlies trade up from 23 to 21 because they saw such a disparity between Clark and everyone else left on their board that they didn't want to risk waiting till 23 to, to make right. the pick. Right. Which I think was the smart move. Um, so in general, the reason that I will say that I don't think that teams will be better off without information is a, the medical testing, I have no idea what that's going to look like this year. And that is going to be like a very real difference between this year's draft and past drafts. I, I like, I just don't know how we're going to get that information yet based off of what we know about the coronavirus uh, yeah. pandemic. And that's going to be the number one thing. And the number two thing, like, honestly, we can talk about the fact that like FaceTime exists and the fact that, uh, you know, we live in a more connected world and, you know, working from home is not nearly as difficult as it was. There is something to be said for just like meeting a kid and understanding how he's going to fit into a locker room, how he's going to fit into a specific situation, how he's going to work with coaches. I think that that's really, really important, even if, I do think bad organizations can sometimes overvalue that. Yeah, I I think it is. I think it's a tough thing to get from speed dating though. Um, and I think the better the better teams have realized that doing all the background work and calling yeah. and you know campus visits in season and talking to the coaching staffs and the people around who are around the players is a much more thorough and valuable way to get that same information than than having lunch with the kid when he's on city eight of a 10 day trip. Yeah. That's a really good point. These kids often just end up being wiped by the end of this process. And that's why and the pre process I think is and injured too. Yeah. Like I think that that is why the pre-draft process is just not going to exist this year, at least in the way we know it. Like even if all of the, 
predictions about flattening the curve end up coming to pass, even the most positive predictions about it end up coming to pass. I still don't see a world where agents are going to allow their clients to go on the road like in June, July, and do these five cities in eight days trips because that's just not something they're gonna, essentially going to be like the most at-risk people for coronavirus in the world in that setting. Yeah, and I, they're going to get pushback from their clients too, obviously. So I, yeah, I don't see it happening either. Yeah, it's just like uh, it's going to be a totally different process. Let's talk about players, though. Let's talk about what everyone wants to hear. So whenever I talk to NBA executives, the name that I hear most as most consistently as being the top player on the board is Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. The player that I have at number one right now is LaMelo Ball. Mm-hmm. Let's say without the context of knowing who is on what team, who do you think your number one player would be right now? Well, I'm going to chicken out of this question a little bit. Right now my default is Edwards, but yes. – I haven't really started on the tape on ball. So I'm, I'm operating with a, with a little bit of a information deficit here. I need to watch more of him um, and, and figure out really what his, what his place is. I mean, I've looked at all his stats and whatnot, but I, do, I need to watch, watch the actual tape and see what it looks like and see how he moves and how he operates more. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, little clips and highlights, but that's not the same as watching games from start to finish. Yeah, and look, I think that there are some concerns that you'll pick up whenever you do that, like particularly uh, the on-ball defense. Like his mechanics as an on-ball defender are atrocious in mm-hmm. every way. Uh, he just doesn't even really know how to get down the stance, it seems right. like. Uh, does have good help instincts, but I still think he's like an overall negative defender. Um, One thing that I think is worth discussing, though, is how you go about evaluating jump shots. Because whenever I look at jump shots in general from younger players like a LaMelo Ball, who has grown something like five inches over the course of the last, you know, 18 months to two years, and is still very clearly growing into his body in a real substantial way, like whenever your body just elongates in the way that it does, it takes time to like relearn how to essentially use some muscles, right? With Ball, his jumper very very clearly has like some level of touch. He's long been a 70-plus free throw shooter. He has played up throughout the course of his career, and the efficiency is hard. The statistics are hard because he takes so many contested jumpers that just involve terrible shot selection. But whenever you're looking for how a jump shot will project, how much are you looking at body development? How much are you looking at um, mechanics versus how much are you just looking at this guy gets fucking results and like that's what matters? Um, I, I mean, I do look at results, especially like, I always like watching guys warm up before a game because you'll see them take like 100 shots. And so, you know, you, you can have a pretty quick picture of where they're at now. Secondary to that, I'm looking at their mechanics. Um, you know, do they change from shot to shot? Are they missing to the sides? Um, and the stuff that may not be ideal, kind of how fixable is it? You know, mm-hmm. there's a difference between this guy needs small tweaks and this guy is a complete, you know, a, a teardown of a jump right. shot, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, th- those are the types of things you're looking for bigger picture. Obviously, you know, the, the younger the player, the more time you have and the more forgiving you are about 
uh, some of the things that may need fixing. Whereas when you're getting into the juniors and seniors, you're you're probably thinking more. This is this is more something you may end up having to live with at least at least for a while. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting though because there are some guys like you know Tyrese Halliburton is another where they're so skinny and physically underdeveloped that I do think it impacts how they how they shoot and that may change right. as they fill out and get older and kind of grow into their bodies a little more. Right. And that's what makes, I think this draft in particular, really, really difficult because there are a lot of either somewhat physically underdeveloped guards or in the case of Killian Hayes, he's just really fucking young. Like there's yeah. just not really another way to put it. Like I think he's yeah. like 18 and a half years old right now. And Hayes, I think, how much Killian Hayes have you watched so far? So I actually saw him in person last year at Basketball Without Borders, so I got some idea there. I haven't seen much uh, from the German League. I've really been focusing on the college guys right now, and then I'm going to go yeah. into the internationals. Um, I've, pro- I've watched a little more of Hayes than I have of Ball. Um, I'm, he's interesting because he has, he has a skill level to him, even though he hasn't shot well. And you just – you just hope he won't get swallowed up athletically. That's like the downside. Yeah, that's what worries me too. And like I see some people who end up having Killian Hayes at like number one on their board. And I think that's like crazy, even as someone who has him at like number six. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really high on him and I think he's really great. But when I watch him, not only do I see that lack of like first step burst, right? But like I've heard the comparison to like James Harden. I've heard the comparison to D'Angelo Russell. And, like, the level of shiftiness that those guys had at lower levels just, to me, far outpaces anything we've seen from Hayes. Hayes is really good at changing pace and changing speeds and finding uh, little ways with his footwork to get into the paint using a ball screen. But, like, D'Angelo Russell and James Harden, those guys can just take a guy on an island and just, like, shimmy him out of his fucking shoes and then get into the paint. Yeah, yeah. I think we're... We're we're probably talking about a different different level than those guys probably, but you don't know, right? He's young. Maybe he gets. He's you so know, young, yeah. <laughs> maybe his athleticism goes up another notch, and all of a sudden you're like, wow. Um, and that you know that's part of the unknown of projecting what teenagers are going to be when they're 25. I will say, I mean, the right. upside with Hayes in general, the number one thing we're all looking for in the draft is a perimeter player, especially a wing who can play with the ball in his hands, and you can just give it to him and run pick and roll through him 40 times a game. I mean, that's the number right. one thing every single team is looking for. Um, and that's why, you know, Edwards, Ball, Hayes are going to be off the board pretty quickly. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And in the case of Hayes, the thing that he just does exceptionally well is he's an unbelievable passer. Like, he sees things on the court that just other dudes don't. And there are actually three guys in this class, I think, in him, Tyrese Halliburton, and LaMelo Ball, who all have uncommonly high levels of feel for lead guards, you know, combo guards, whatever you want to call them in the case of Hayes and Halliburton, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I would imagine that you have watched quite a bit of Halliburton if you have gone through college guys. Yeah, I saw – I actually saw Iowa State, luck of the draw, I saw them play six times in person last year. So pretty pretty familiar with Halliburton. Um, (laughs) What are are your thoughts on him in general? Well, I mean, I thought he was a lottery pick if he came out last year. So I've I've always been a fan. I think uh, really high feel – um, really good defensive tools, good athlete, 
long frame, uh, you know, physically underdeveloped right now. You hope he'll fill out some. The jump shot is a push shot. It's accurate, uh, needs time and space. Uh, and then the biggest question, I think, with him is just, is he ever going to be a guy where you can put the ball, even though he's such a good passer, it's more like transition and in the flow of the game stuff. Can you put the ball yeah. in his hands and run pick and roll through him? I think that's really where he struggles. He doesn't have great burst. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to plow through guys when he gets closer to the basket. And I, I think that's the area where there's still some question marks. You know, this was an interesting season because the rest of his team was so god awful that I, I think it made it uh, a little tough to evaluate him in some respects. But I mean, I I think at worst he's a decent two, right? Like there there yeah. Because one of the things you look at in the draft is. Does this guy have multiple ways to becoming a, de- a good player? Like, even if this part yeah. doesn't happen, if this other part happens, he's still a valuable player. You know, he can go in this direction or maybe he can go in this direction. He's got the size to play, too, which I think gives him another out. Um, or he's big enough to play kind of with another combo-ish guard and, and share the load. And, you know, that, that positional versatility versus guys who are like just a center or just a point guard, I think that's a real advantage. Especially, um, you know, the, the way teams are playing now, there's more switching and whatnot. And I don't know if Halliburton's really a guy you're going to want switching like on the bigs, but uh, certainly across one through three, you can. Yeah, with Halliburton, I actually do see him more as like a second side playmaker that also, uh, at least in the half court, a second side playmaker who you reverse the ball to and, you know, with. 16 seconds left on the shot clock after the initial action fails. You get the ball to him on the opposite wing, and he runs a pick and roll and then is able to create, right, while the defense is hopefully in something of rotation, while also being able to rebound and lead the break on his own in transition and then being an outlet guy for the secondary break, right? I don't really see him as a half-court, like, full-stop initiator as, like, a starter against first units. Now, he can probably do that against second units, but against first units, the reasons that I don't love that idea are twofold. It's that I think, first and foremost, the jump shot, particularly in regard to ball pickup, I think it just takes too long. Like, I don't see a world where he's going to be able to uh, consistently get – pull-up jumpers off, even as he gets stronger, just because the ball pickup. I mean, it would take a an inordinate amount of work for him to be able to become like a super high-level pull-up jump shooter that can knock down shots and get enough space to n- make those shots after uh, it just takes him mo- like literally almost a full second sometimes, it feels like, to pick up the ball and get a release because his because of the elongated mechanics and how long it takes for him to pick up the ball. The second part is just like the physical strength. Like I'm just worried about how that frame is going to go, but because he has such a high level feel for the game, like to me, I think he's just kind of slightly less athletic Lonzo ball, like Lonzo ball this year, I think actually really was successful in New Orleans' scheme next to someone in Drew Holiday that could be a true creator for him at the end of shot clocks, right? Like you don't want to have to give Lonzo ball the ball, that was a lot, um, at the end of shot clocks. You want to be able to give it to someone else to be able to create that shot. Having someone like Drew Holiday and then hopefully having someone like uh, Zion Williamson in addition to a Brandon Ingram, that's really going to actualize how good Lonzo Ball can be, I think. Um, he can be a, a, like a role player all-star, in my opinion, but I don't think he's going to be a guy that like runs the show, and that's kind of the role that I see for Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome. 
Uh, can can also you're hoping become a guy who's good enough to defend the other team's best player. That's interesting because the coaches that I talked to that played them were like, yeah, we actually attacked him a lot mm-hmm. because on the ball he's not good enough. Where they were worried about him was like being a rover off the ball who just saw things like a split second before they happened and reacted to them. And then that's why he gets a ton of steals. Right. But on the ball, they were like, yeah, like we were trying to attack closeouts on him. We were trying to drive him with our point guard, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. I'll have to go back and watch a little more of him. But on the ball or off the ball, I'm sorry. I agree with you. I think his instincts are awesome. And I guess that this is a good question to ask you, which part do you value more do you think it's more valuable for a guy to be an excellent on-ball defender or do you think that it's more valuable for someone to be able to play exceptional team defense uh I actually think the team defense might matter more yeah because you can you can do things to hide guys um but even the guys who are good individual defenders they tend to they tend to hurt their who aren't good team defenders. You look at the overall data and they tend to hurt their teams. Mm-hmm. Whereas a guy like, an like Avery Bradley is a good yeah, example. It's the Avery that. Bradley versus versus Robert Covington. Now Avery, I mean, we had him in Memphis last year. I mean, he's he's really good on the ball, and when he's and when he's been healthy, that's been enough to offset some of his weaknesses off the ball. But still, I mean, Robert Covington, for example, who's probably not nearly as good on the ball. The, the data is clear; he does more for your defense overall. So let's, uh, I think that we've, have we talked about all the guards? We haven't talked about Anthony Edwards yet. So I guess I'll just ask, you know, you got a chance to see Edwards up close quite a bit this year. I have done done that drive to Athens a few times this year. Yes. And uh, uh, he is really interesting because he's so far away from what he can potentially be. And you, you just hope that you're not overdoing it by projecting him to get there. Physically, he has everything. Um, Yeah. His shot is still a little bit of a question mark. I think I think people are maybe a little too uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, bullish. A little too bullish on the shooting part of it. Yeah, I think his his shot it's not the same every time. Uh, you watch him even in warm ups. He there's a lot of misses and there's a lot going on at the top of the there's, jumper. Yeah, and there's and in games it's it's the same thing. It's it's an inconsistent stroke right now. Uh, he gets good elevation. He can get into it off the dribble really easily, and it's his default mode. I think I think he sees himself as a jump shooter, but he's not a good shooter right now. And you just he he needs to be able to get there. Um, really strong. I think his. Uh, I think I could see him being used more in post ups at the NBA level and just pounding guards. Uh, Georgia didn't really do that as much. I just don't think they had the floor spacing to make that work. There'd just be three guys surrounding him. Yep. Uh, feel for the game is not great. He's capable of some really good passes, but doesn't make them consistently. Uh, rebounds well for his position. Again, all the physical stuff checks out with him. Um, defensively, uh, here's where I worry. It's not just that he's not good. Um, he, he can actually slide his feet and stay in front of him when he's challenged yeah. one-on-one. Although his effort and instincts kind of go all over the place. But just like yeah. he's always the last guy up the floor. Like always. It's crazy. Like he just I, – I, and I don't know what that is. Um, and I, I don't know. So there, there's – like for the number one overall pick, like there's a lot of things here that are issues, right? So – Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like I've been saying that if he was in a normal draft – like if he was in the 2019 draft uh, – 
Zion Williamson definitely goes ahead of him. John Morant definitely goes ahead yeah. of him. Yeah. Uh, RJ, RJ probably, Barrett probably goes ahead of him. I think I agree with you. I think RJ Barrett goes ahead of him. I think he's more in the mix with like DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, Jarrett Culver, and yeah. like Kobe White. Yeah. Like you look at what Kobe White did last year at North Carolina, you know, 16 points, four rebounds on, I think it was like 43, 36 in, you know, 79 something like that. Like, I don't remember if he got to 80 from the foul line or not, but like he was pretty close statistically to what Anthony Edwards did. Now, one question I would have for you is how much of Edwards kind of default mode this year being a jump shooter? Because I agree with you that it was, he took just too many fucking terrible shitty jump shots. Right. Um, How much of that has to do with the fact that, like you said, Georgia had zero spacing. The team around him shot 29% from three. In addition to Anthony, I think shot 29 or 30% from yeah, three as I well. I mean, if, if Samir Wheeler can get to the rim every other play, Anthony Edwards should be able to. I, I, I mean, they had other guys that were doing that. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of discount that. I think the opportunities were there for him, for him to do that. I think Georgia, even though they didn't, they didn't have the numbers maybe uh, as a three-point shooting team, they did tend to play with with spacing offensively. Like there were there were usually four guys outside the three point line, if not yeah. five. I don't, you know, so it wasn't really it wasn't like some some congested mess. I don't. It wasn't Arizona, I guess. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, like Rayshon Hammonds could knock down threes, and Rayshon was like their five most of the year, which I yeah. think does help a yeah. lot. The the thing that I think that. Edward struggles with is I think he's just like not a great ball handler right now. Like I think he just doesn't have the confidence to be able to have a strong handle and drive all the way to the basket. I think that's more than anything why he ends up defaulting to just being a jump shooter. And yeah, how much and, is that improvable? Like I think that's a question. Yeah, and really straight liney too. Um, yep. Like so, I don't know. Is that is that just something that'll fix with more experience? Because he's relatively inexperienced compared to most players who come in at this higher level because uh, change from football to basketball pretty late in the game. Um, yep. but, or, or is that like, does he just not have flexible hips and can't do it? Like that's a problem, right? But if it's just right. a skill he needs to learn, then that's, you know, that's fixable. Right. And again, like this is a circumstance where you're probably not going to be able to judge that to be honest. Like you you had a chance maybe to judge that if you brought him in for a workout. Like that that's the value I think of a workout. Like yeah. you might be able to put him through something of a Above. of a ringer of skills that you have specific concerns about because you yeah. haven't seen them yet. Yeah. Um you know, there even if even line. if this were a normal year, um there was no way in hell this guy was working out for anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> this is a uh well I got like Every year he does it, like typically the number one overall pick will work out for the number one team, unless you're literally Zion Williamson. Yeah, yeah. So like you would think that if you were, you know, if you're Golden State and you're deciding between him and Obi Toppin or some shit, like, hey, you have to come in and like work out for us or else we're not going to take you number one. Given the monetary difference between number one and number two now, it's probably a workout he does, I think. Yeah, yeah, I could see him working. Yeah, yeah, I could probably see him working out for number one. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about wings real quick because I think that that is a little bit of a trickier conversation. Uh, this year, I think it's a pretty wing-depleted draft. Would you agree? Yeah, not great, um, especially toward the top. Even, yeah, actually, even even in the middle, actually, as I'm looking at it. Pretty good on point guards. Um, probably a lot of like backup centers floating around here as you get later in the draft. 
Not so yep. much on the wings. Yeah, which is a huge bummer because, like you said at the top, and I agree with you, every team wants wings who can create shots and play defense, right? Yeah. Like, this is the biggest thing. And I guess that the guy that has gotten the most attention this year, at least, is Isaac Okoro. And you've gotten to see Okoro twice live, if I remember correctly? No, actually, I did not see him live at all. Um Oh, because so he got I, hurt. He got against hurt. Georgia. He got hurt right. before the Georgia game, and then there was another trip I was going to take that I ended up not doing. So I ended up going O for Okoro on the season, unfortunately. So what? How much of him have you watched? I've watched. Season? I've watched him though. I've seen. I've seen Auburn play several times. And do you believe him to be the best wing in this class? Uh I struggle with that a lot. Um, I don't think he's like a super dynamic ball handler. I don't think he's a good shooter. Okay, he's a good defender and he um pretty good athlete. You know, all the character stuff on him is supposedly great. But I mean if that's if that's the best wing in the class, that's doesn't sound like much of a class. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he's probably an NBA player and whatnot. I just I I struggle to get as high on him as some other people have. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I have him at like 11. I think that he should be in the mix like after the I guess Killian Hayes group, right? But I really struggle because I don't love the jump shot at all. Like I don't love the touch really that I've seen and I don't love the mechanics. I think that like he arches his shoulders in like this very weird way. And it, it just all looks very, he doesn't look like a loose athlete while he's shooting jump shots. Like he looks yeah. like a very compacted athlete in a very strange way that um, it really worries me. Like, I think he's a good uh, off ball defender. I think he's a good on ball defender. That's very switchable. Uh, the handle stuff is interesting. Like he shows flashes of, body control when driving but it's typically after he actually picks up the dribble like as a straight up driver he is just a straight line driver right now like there's just not much versatility there I think he's going to be a really good role player but like I, I just don't I don't actually have him as my top wing right now I have Devin Vassell at Florida State as my yep. top wing yep. because he is again an exceptional defender in addition to being someone that I think actually might have a shot at being able to create his own shot at the next level. Yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff there with Vassell. I mean, he had two assists for every turnover in conference play this year, shot shot 54% on twos in the ACC. So it wasn't just a, a function of his shooting. I mean, he was good and and good, good in a variety of ways. Like I said, really good defensive tools. I think he's still growing into that body a little bit and will fill out more. Um, definitely off the dribble, you – um, needs to get better there. I think that's the biggest thing. Can he? He shoots a lot of pull-ups. Can he get all the way to the rim more? Uh, draw more yep. fouls. He didn't draw a lot of fouls. So I think there are still questions there. So that that keeps him probably out of the upper half of the lottery. But at this point, yep. I like I do. I definitely think he's lottery. I, I I think he's just had put together a really solid season. When you just stack him up against these other guys. He's he's got to be at or near the top of this of this next group. Yeah, and the skills that you bring up that he's good at, like he can actually pull up and knock down jump shots. He's a good catch and shoot guy, um, and he's a great defender. Those are skills that are immediately translatable to the NBA level with a Coro. Like that's like a spacing deficit immediately right now by putting him on the court with Vass with Vassell. I think he's going to be able to get on the court earlier just because 
you don't have to like run things through him. Essentially, he can just be a guy that spots up, knocks down shots, or you know, heavy closeout, takes two dribbles to his right, knocks down a shot. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna play. He's gonna play right away. I, I don't have anything yeah. about that. And then the other guy that I like, I also have the lottery pick in the uh, in the wing bucket is Sadiq Bay. Uh, Six foot eight, six foot nine, maybe even from what I've been told. Uh, good length, has good lateral quickness defensively, but just has like no pop uh, when it comes to going right. straight line driver, vertical pop. Like there's nothing there, which I think is why he's a little bit lower on my board than Vassell, even just like a spot or two lower than a Coro. That lack of athletic pop, I think, is concerning, but the ability to go out and shoot. 44, 45% from three as one of the three best players in the Big East this year, plus be a multi-positional high-level defender. The Villanova felt comfortable just putting on guards a lot of the time. They were like, hey, go guard Devon Dotson. You'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, or go guard a forward, you'll be fine. That kind of versatility, I think, is going to make him a tailor-made early player in the NBA. Yeah, I'm I'm probably a little more lukewarm on Sadiq Bay than you are. Um, the the lack of athleticism, I guess, troubles me. Like a yeah. pathetic rebounder for his size, like doesn't really get to the rim. Um, shot really well from from three, not as well from the line. So you you wonder if that was a little bit of a mirage. Um, he's a good shooter, don't get me wrong. But is he a is he a knockdown guy? Is he a lights out guy? Is he you know is he a pretty good guy? I don't know. I I just I just worry that you put him on an NBA floor and he turns into like Tony Snell, right? Like I I I the the lack of pop I guess is is a little troubling for me. But I could say like. I can see, like, if you're if you're going to say I want a three and D guy, and that's the thing that a lot of teams in the league are looking for. I mean, he checks those two boxes without a doubt. Hot take: If I could tell you that you got Tony Snell at number fourteen right now in this draft, would you take it? Uh, I'd probably roll the dice. I I just I just think the draft is a little more about upside than that because you can get Tony Snell anywhere, right? You don't need to you don't need to use a pick on that. Tony Snell's probably like he's on a contract now that overvalues him. Yeah, yeah, probably. Hey, he's useful. Yeah, you know, probably like you a know, six, six to seven $5 million, million dollar guy. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not at fourteen, but I probably do take that at twenty. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that that is. Kind of, I, I totally agree with what you're saying on Sadiq Bay. Like that lack of athleticism is very concerning. I think um, I'm not as concerned about the rebounding numbers. I don't think. Like I know that for his height, they're not great, but you know, got like 4.7 per game. I think that the rates were probably like what, like 12 to 14 percent uh, defensive rebounding. Which for if you're evaluating him as a true wing, is not a disaster. Like. If you're evaluating him as like a potential small ball four, then we start to get into issues. But the lateral quickness stuff is what makes him such an interesting athlete to me because he does really slide his feet well. He's just not a guy that has the like quick twitch pop to be able to, you know, go up and sky for rebounds, go up and um, even like get by a guy. Like yeah. on a heavy closeout, right? Like that's going to be a concern for him. Teams are going to be able to Absolutely. close out super hard on him. Yeah. And right now, I don't think he has the recourse to be able to stop that. Yeah. And that's something he's going to have to – like that has value, having someone that's a, such a good shooter that uh, teams can close out hard and, uh, you know, that opens up space for everyone else. But it's limited in terms of how valuable it is as well. So I, I'm high on him to the extent that I would have him as like – 
the 20th to 25th best prospect in a normal draft, but in this draft, I just don't know what the fuck to do with them. Right. Or like, right. I, I just don't know what the fuck to do with everyone else, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Um, and then the last guy here is Aaron Neesmith. If you, uh, how much Aaron Neesmith tape? Have you I just Neesmith? downloaded a couple of Vandy games because he was hurt before I really got a chance to watch anything. Um, you know, obviously the, the the shooting. I've seen some clips of him, like the shooting and the footwork off the catch and everything is yeah. exquisite. And yep. I, I just need to get a fuller picture of where the rest of his game. Is. So the last guy here is kind of in between that, like true wing, you know, point forward type, uh, Denny Avdia. Yeah. I'm starting to think we all might be a little bit high on Denny Avdia. I so I saw him at Basketball Without Borders last year, and I kind of didn't get what the big deal was. And I mean, I've seen him; he's been able to play in Euroleague games, which just being good enough to get on the floor in those games as an eighteen-year-old yep. is generally a positive indicator. Uh, but people say, "Oh, but you got to look at his Israeli league games," and I'm like, "Well, the Israeli league is horrible. It sucks. Like it's <laughs> like there's no. Okay. I'm not. I'm not going to watch those games to make my evaluation. I'm sorry." Yeah, the, um, the Israeli league is worse than the NBL, I would say. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And uh or the German league for that matter. Like like levels much below. worse than the German yeah. league, yeah. Yeah, it's a one team league and he's on the team. So none of the right. other teams he plays against are are anywhere near that level. So uh with him, I think the shot is a question. He reminds me a lot of Dario Saric. Um That's where, what I keep telling people. And yeah. I keep getting pushback on the fact that he's more athletic than Dario. But whenever you're trying to like project the skill set of what he actually brings to the table in an NBA game, I'm not sure that it's like worlds different either. Yeah. And D- Dario, I mean, he's been in some bad situations the last two years. I do think he, that he could be, he could show more than what he's shown if he had the ball in his hands more. But I do yeah. with guys like that. The problem is, they're not quite talented enough offensively to put the ball in their hands in an NBA game. So then what is the right. other thing that they do? And right. and I struggle with that with Avdia the same way I did with with Dario. So that's why I think like people have him as a top five guy and I don't really see it. I mean, cl- clearly he's going to go in the first round, you know, the lottery somewhere. And yeah, that's, he's going to go in the lottery. For you sure. know, that's, that's fair. But D- Dario was the 10th pick. Was that right? Yep. Uh, I, so or twelfth was it? Because the, the oh, I always twelve because that Peyton trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe Abdia goes, you know, somewhere seven to twelve. I don't know. I yeah. I'm just spitballing here, but I I'd be more comfortable with him in that range than with like these top five guys. I think I agree with you on that. The more that I watch him, for what it's worth, I, I just don't know how he affects an NBA game right now, and I don't know if the ball skill improves enough to where you can put the ball in his hands as like a secondary initiator. Yeah. Because right now, like, I just don't, I agree with you. I don't really see it. Like I, I, I had him at five on my most recent board and then I went back and watched and I was like, I'm too high. This is, this is wrong. This is the, this is the problem when I have to put out a big board every uh, month or so I end up being like, Oh yeah, I have this guy at like four. And then I go back and like dig super deep into the tape and it's like, Oh shit. Like I really probably need to have him a touch lower because it's just impossible to catch up to everyone at once. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, The last point I want to talk about is big guys. And one thing that I've talked to you about offline is your theory on not drafting big guys in the lottery. Essentially. You just don't. My my theory is more on not drafting them period. But um, (laughs) I, 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 I just think centers have become cheap enough that you can get them almost anywhere. But 
that that said, I mean, when you go back and look, there's been there's been value in taking awesome bigs high, you know, in the top three. Yeah. And then there's been value in taking bigs late and just taking a chance on them because maybe you'll hit on something. And yep. where teams have gotten more burned is in the middle of that. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'm interested to see how this plays out because there are two there are two bigs I think who will definitely go in the lottery when you look at Onyeka Okongwu and James Wiseman. Um, and I still think people are a little all over the place as to where exactly they go. Yeah, and then additionally, I think teams are all over the place on where Precious is going to go to. Yeah, I have a. Hmm, I, I think he's a little further down, but we'll we'll save that. I have a I have a hot take coming that I'll save for another day. Um, which would you take first, Onyeka Okongwu or James Wiseman? I would take Okongwu. I saw both of them play in person this year. I saw one of Wiseman's three games when he played against uh, Oregon. His size and uh, just the way he moves at his size, obviously that, that alone, like one trip through the layup line and he's in the lottery. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are only so many human beings on the planet that have that. Um, you just, as the game goes on, you just wonder. He's He just seems to float in and out. And, uh, you know, he's got some shooting touch, and you can see how that develops. But I'm not sure I really see a defensive dominator. I don't, didn't really see, like, a huge motor. So there there are question marks with him and, and what he's going to be like. Uh, Akongwu, I think there are fewer questions that way. He has amazing hands. Uh, yeah. I think his skill level is at a point where he has something to build off of and it can get better. Uh, when you look at, when you watch him shoot and you see him shoot free throws, he's not a disaster. He's going to be able to make mid range shots in a year or two. And he may, by the time he's like 28, he may be shooting threes. We'll see. Uh, comparison people use a lot with him is Bam Adebayo. Cause they're both undersized for the five at six, nine, uh, but have mm-hmm. some of that switchability, the long arms. I, you know, he had an amazing freshman season in a system that wasn't really built for him and with guards who weren't even that good. And, and next to a center that he was playing with regularly. Oh, that's true. Yeah, sometimes you have to get out of the way for Rakosevich. Yeah, you're right about that. So Yeah, you, yeah you that, a, that's what you want. You want the lottery pick to get out of the way for Nick Rakosevich. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Duh. So, you know, when you look at all that, and he has some stuff he can get to on the post too, and they, they probably didn't go to it enough. When you look at all that, I, I like him a little better. I I think he's good enough and the rest of this draft is weak enough that I would probably violate my rule and use a high pick on him. Yeah. The thing about him that I really like is he plays with so much force. Like he is six foot eight, six foot nine. You know, I think he's going to come in somewhere around there. Whereas Bam is like six ten, and he, I think he has longer arms. I would guess he probably has like a two inch wingspan advantage on him. So I think that it's almost like a combination of Bam and like Montrez Harrell to me. Mm-hmm. Like Montrez, like I think that where I see Trez is I see it like on offense where Onyeka is really good in pick and roll. He's great at diving to the basket, has exceptional hands, but can also short roll and take like two dribbles and, you know, beat a guy, beat a big man off the bounce, beat a tagger coming from the weak side off the bounce and be able to get to the basket. Um, and then additionally, he's just such a great leaper off of two feet that he's going to be a lob threat as well. If he can find some sort of like pick and roll synergy with a guard like Trez has with Blue Williams, he's going to be a monster uh, on offense, I think. Defensively, though, like the level of force that he plays with at the basket, like 
guys just bounce off of him because he's so strong. Like even though he is only six foot eight, six foot nine with a seven foot one ish wingspan, I would bet like he is someone that guys just like can't go through. Like you can't go through his body to finish because he's just going to keep you away from the basket and make it harder for you. Um, And then additionally, what I really like with him on defense versus someone like an Obi Toppin is he has really good flexibility in the way that he's able to like drop his hips and slide because guards are all going to be faster than him, obviously. So a big skill is being able to drop your hips and cut off the driving angle, at least on some level. And then as you drop your hips, potentially be able to turn into recovery and contest with the Kong Wu. I think he does that really, really well. And I think that that's going to allow teams to even potentially switch one through five when he's on the court. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's definitely he's definitely that type of player, and that's I think where some of the Adebayo uh, similarities I think people see yeah. uh, are there. Yep, for sure. And with Weissman, the guy I've been comparing him to is like Miles Turner. Like I think he's kind of that. Like Turner had those same like questions about does he play hard all the time? I think it's not that he like he the motor runs hot and cold. I think it's that I think it's that things just he's still learning how to react to the things that are happening around him kind of because he's an incredibly intelligent person. Um, and I think he plays with intelligence as opposed to playing with like reactivity to what's happening around him. Right. And I think as that stuff starts to pick up as he's coached by NBA uh, big men coaches and head coaches that start to figure things out with him. His ability to slide his feet is really good. Like he's going to be able to cut off guys in drop coverage. I don't think he's going to be able to play like switch coverages, but I think you're going to be able to play him in drop coverages. He's going to be a really, really good anchor around the basket because of the physical tools and because he's getting stronger and can embrace contact in a way that he wasn't capable of at younger ages. Yeah. But like he is just like, I don't see him as a creator. And if you're taking a guy in the top, you know, five, you probably want a creator at the end of the day. Yeah, or somebody who could be, you know, a fulcrum of your two-man game, you know, the way Okongwu, I think, has more capability of doing that. And then the last guy I'll talk about is Obi Toppin. Sure. This is probably the toughest eval just in terms of trying to determine what his value is, if he hits or if he hits 75% or if he hits 50%. Because I worry about the defense in a way that I wonder if there is little margin for error. Interesting. You see, I've seen him do some stuff on the defensive end where he has some anticipation. He's able to use verticality around the basket. He actually has pretty decent timing on blocks. Uh, yeah. I, I understand the, the the lateral stuff is going to be a question for him, but that's not the only element of defense either. And I think right. he can do enough other things well enough that if he's just – if he, he just has to get to mediocre on defense, right? Like offensively, this guy's got the whole package. He can – He's big. He can put it on the floor. He can score in post-ups. He can run the floor, lobs, threes. Like, he's got the whole deal. And he doesn't have to be even a good defender to have a lot of value. So I'm a little more bullish on him. Uh, He is an older player. I mean, even though he's a sophomore, he's 22. So you hold that part against him a little bit. But he's also an extreme late bloomer uh, who had a late growth spurt. Uh, really just started shooting threes this year. And yep. I think his, his skill level is just going up by leaps and bounds. Um, you know, I was watching the, the Kansas game from Maui the other day where he catches the ball in the corner and just kind of puts it on the floor, goes between his legs one way and behind the back the other, and then pulls up for a three. 
like, it's ridiculous. Did I just see that? Like, did he just do that? And, uh, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he shot 70% on, uh, on twos. <laughs> like, who, yeah. who does that? You know what I mean? As the focal point of the offense, not as some, you know, guy who's just taking dunks and layups. So uh, I I think he's I think he's really good and I think the defensive questions are are there but you're kind of I don't know burying the lead I guess a little bit like he's so good offensively yeah I think he's by far the best offensive big man in this class and I think you're probably right that I buried the lead you're actually 100 percent right that I buried the lead um, but what is so I guess like my question is what is the value of someone like Obi Toppin like. Do you think that he can get to the level that, like, Blake Griffin got to? Do you think he can be, like, John Collins level? Because, like, yeah. I still have questions about, like, how much does John Collins affect winning basketball? Well, right? I think where where he can impact the game is if he's John Collins with more perimeter gravity. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I agree with you. Like, I think that that is kind of what he is. I think he's more skilled than John Collins on offense, but on Defense, I just wonder if some of the same issues that we've seen with Collins will pop up, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he's just like a tweener. I mean, he's going to have to play the four almost, but you also want to play him at the five as like the screener. But if you're playing him at the five as the screener, or you're almost playing with the four as the screener so that you can get his vertical rim running ability, but then you have to have a five who can shoot. You what, you need and, a certain kind of five to play with him to optimize him. I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. That if you and have it's hard a, to find that guy, too. Yeah, the Marcus Serge Ibaka type who is like a rim protector who hangs out at the three-point line. Miles right, Turner. like Miles Turner, yeah. Like It's almost like if you would pair James Wiseman and Obi Toppin. <laughs> yeah, together. exactly. If, exactly. You project yeah. Miles, if you project that Wiseman yeah. can shoot, like that's the guy, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so my last thing for you before we get out of here, I want you to give me one name. One name that you have watched this season and – you feel is drastically underrated. Oh, that's easy. Paul Reed from DePaul. So Paul is someone I've gone back and forth on pretty substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers are exceptional. Like I think he's the only guy other than Nerlens Noel to average 1.9 steals in like two and a half blocks a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the rate percentages there are exceptional as well. I think the jump shot is terrible, and I just don't know if that's going to translate at all. What does he do well enough on offense for you to be able to be uh, someone that you believe in? I think he's a question mark on offense. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think he's – I guess I compare him with somebody like Precious Achua, and Mm -hmm. they both have the questions about their feel on offense, that maybe the handle isn't great. They put their – you know, kind of – put their head down and go to the rim too much sometimes. Uh, outside shooting maybe isn't that great for either of them. Precious's shot maybe looks a little better. Um, Precious has been shooting for longer, I guess. Like, I think there's probably a level of comfort there that mm-hmm. he has. Mm-hmm. Um, they, these guys are the same age. And yes. even, though Reed, even though Reed is a junior, uh, is a young junior, had to score a lot on this team, which I don't think is his role uh, because it was a bad team with DePaul. Uh, they were playing against high-level teams almost every night, and he still pull up crazy numbers. And I, I just think there's so there he's going to have enough value at the defensive end that offensively there'll be a place where he fits. And I, I guess I don't understand how he can be down in like the 40s and 50s with like the the dart throws when when he has such an, a hugely identifiable skill. And and really, if you just if you just get his 
shooting to barely adequate, you have a valuable player. Does it matter to you that we're talking about an elite level defender? Like that's the projection, right? We think he can be like a super high level defender. Yeah. Does it matter to you that DePaul had the second worst defense in the Big East this year? No, because I watched DePaul games. I mean, they were. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a bad team. Like I don't. It's I don't really know what, bad. I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> it was really bad. Like watching Charlie Moore try and defend was atrocious, and like watching Jalen Coleman lands and the who's the big guy that they would play with Paul Reed. Um, oh my uh, God! The fuck is his name? Jalen something. I, yeah. I forget his last name. Um, yeah. Like these guys were just not good enough on defense, and Reed had to cover a lot for them. Uh, I think Romeo Weems actually isn't bad on defense. I think he's like a prospect one day. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, not yet, and I'm worried that he's about to declare for the draft. I would strongly advise I would against. Strongly that. advise him not to. Yes. Um, but in Reed's case, yeah, I think that you can't cover the holes of three bad defenders by yourself at all times. Yeah, exactly. And then you don't really have any good on-off data to work with. Uh, well, that's not true. I mean, he missed a few games at the end, I guess. But, like, they had to play him the whole game. So you couldn't be like, oh, well, they went on a 10-0 run when, you know, when Reed was out. Well, didn't really have much time to be out. Yeah, that's yeah. a good question. I'm going to look up the uh, – Look up the on-off data real quick to see just how many possessions he played off the court. Because I would imagine that it's like 300 maybe for the whole season, which is just not nearly enough to even yeah. come close. Um, yeah, so it was uh, he played 600 off the court. Uh, when he was off the court, DePaul was a negative 22 team. They had a 90 offensive rating and a 112 defensive rating. Okay. Uh, when he was on the court, they were a plus 7 team. They were... Wait, DePaul. I, I, so I'm flabbergasted that DePaul was a plus in any scenario. Yes, DePaul was a plus seven team throughout the course of the entire season wow. uh, when Paul Reed was on the court. Wow. <laughs> and when Charlie know. Moore, the guy who played the most possessions for them this year, uh-huh. uh, was on the court, they were a uh, basically net even team. Okay. Okay. So, like, basically, Paul Reed was driving the play. Any positive play, Paul Reed was driving it. Any yeah. negative play, uh, everyone else was driving it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. That's I good thought. information. Um, that one feels – that's from Pivot Analysis, by the way. Shout out to Pivot. Um, you've maybe convinced me a little bit more on Paul Reed. I will tell you that. Um, John Hollinger, tell the people uh, what you've got coming up at The Athletic. Yeah. So I've been uh... – I've been writing uh, a lot of uh, state of the franchise pieces with our with our different local writers. I'm working on one right now on on the Houston Rockets. Uh, got one coming uh, later this week on the Denver Nuggets. Uh, have one that's out right now on the state of the Knicks. Uh, so we've been been looking at a lot of the individual teams and going back and forth on them. Uh, also wrote something uh, predicting all 41. NBA player and team options this off season. So check that out too. Hot take. Everyone is picking up player options. If it's even like in doubt <laughs> because What's of the it? new, uh, the new uh, paradigm of the coronavirus in salary cap. It feels like we just got to see what they do to the number next year. I mean, that's the whole question. There's a lot of different ways that can go. And some of them don't impact the number as much as others. Right. 
Uh, yeah, like they have the ability to cap smooth, essentially, in a way that they didn't last time. Yeah. So that's been John Hollinger. I'm Sam Vecini. I'm doing similar stuff over at The Athletic. Please go subscribe over there. We'll be back uh, later on this week with some NBA stuff and maybe just some fun bullshit. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.